Good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. If you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. And if you're a member, know that we are praying for you guys, especially uh, we want to do that with a great emphasis in the month of February. So if you remember last year how we spent time praying for individuals in this local congregation, uh, we'll do that in the month of February. So um, with that said, we are in a series entitled The Spiritual Warfare. Spiritual Warfare from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And we are in Ephesians 6 verses 14 through 15. Um, can you please stand? We stand out of reverence to the Holy Word of God as we read the Word of God. Um, just for context, we'll read verses 10 through 15 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is the word of God. Join me as I pray. Father, thank you for your word God, we ask for power. We ask for your people to live pure lives, for your people to be a people of prayer, for your people to be prepared in reading the word. And God, we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit among us. I ask for this, God. That I am a sinner before you. And I ask, God, if you speak mightily to your people, please do not allow this to be another time of entertainment as we listen to a sermon, as we are informed. I pray that the word of God can move in such a mighty way that it penetrates the hearts of people. I pray those who are listening to the sermon online that, that God, they're not listening to this and being distracted by everything, but, but God, they're listening and the Spirit of God is moving mightily in their hearts, God. So convict us, lead us, guide us. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not and give us what we do not have. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name, God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the title for today's sermon is, the belt, breastplate, and shoes, the armor of God. The Apostle Paul, in his last letter, wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, concerning the battle that he will face or he is facing as a Christian. And I want you to listen very carefully to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier 
gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlists him. So here we see that the Apostle Paul assures Timothy that he is in a spiritual battle. There's no doubt. If you're a Christian this morning, you are in a spiritual battle. So the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, you are in a spiritual battle. But then the Apostle Paul gives Timothy three commands that are essential in this spiritual battle. First, he tells Timothy that he needs to strengthen himself by the grace of God. Does that sound familiar? Yes, because in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says, before you can even put on this armor, you must be strengthened by the grace of God, the might of God, the strength of God. Here, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy the same thing. Be strengthened by God's strength. We yield to God's strength. That's the only way we can have the strength enough to grab the armor of God, because it's God's armor. Don't miss this. It's God's armor. So the only way we can clothe ourselves with the armor of God is by first being strengthened by God. We must be strengthened by God. Here the Apostle Paul says that to Timothy. He also tells Timothy of something important here. He tells him that he must entrust, here is yet a command, entrust the gospel to others. This is important here. So here, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, while you're in this spiritual battle, the very thing that can help you in this spiritual battle is to give the gospel away, to share the gospel, to make disciples. Do you get this? In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul will tell us the same thing. He entitles or he calls the, 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 the gospel or the shoes for your feet the gospel of peace, Brother Gerald. So in other words, the more we share the gospel in this spiritual battle that we're in, the more that we are strengthened, the more we understand God's purpose in our lives. So maybe the reason why you're weak in this spiritual battle is because you're not sharing the gospel. And then the Apostle Paul tells him that he must share in the sufferings of Christ. So in this spiritual battle, we must have a different perspective, sharing the sufferings of Christ. So the more we suffer with Christ, the more we know Christ. The more we know Christ, the more we are strengthened by Christ. You get it. So our perspective must change. Instead of being like this spoiled little two-year-old, why God, why me, why me, why me? Take this away, take this away from me. We must be like David. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the perspective we must have. So, so here, we see that the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy to be ready for the battle. Three things that he must understand. Be strengthened and trust the gospel and share in the sufferings of Christ. That's exactly what the armor of God does for us. James Montgomery Boyce, this is what he mentioned here. He said, the Christian life is no well-mannered engagement. It is no exercise class. Christianity is a warfare. And because of this, it is necessary for the Christian soldier to wear armor adequate to resist the spiritual and sometimes physical onslaughts of Satan. He's right. This is no exercise class, friends. This is a battle. 
Are you ready for this? Are you? This is the hope. In 2024, that we understand this battle that we're in, we understand the armor that we must put on, and we are prepared. We are prepared. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, the Apostle Paul is speaking of the Christian's battle. He's informing us of the armor that we need to put on. He tells us to yield to the strength of God, just like Paul tells Timothy to yield to the strength of God. He tells us to depend upon God. He tells us to be firm, meaning meaning to stand. This is not an offensive attack on Satan. Three times in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul used the word stand, stand, or withstand. This is a defensive posture that we must have as Christians. You do not need to go find Satan. I promise you that. He'll find you. He'll find you. We don't need to go find, sa- find Satan everywhere. Well, Satan's under this rock. Satan's under this rock. There are some brothers and sisters who consistently, they do stuff like that. The Bible tells us not to do that. What are you called to do? You're called to stand firm. Withstand sta- Satan. I think this is important for you to understand. Satan is a formidable foe. However, Satan is a defeated foe. And I want to explain this to you. I don't like snakes. I hate snakes, especially venomous snakes. One of the things is when you understand if you kill a snake, you chop off the head, you understand there's one aspect of it. You do not mess with the head of the snake. A wise person understands even after you chop off the head, minutes after or hours after, the snake can still what? Bite, right? So the snake is a defeated snake. Yes, I chopped his head off but it's also still very formidable. And this is what for us, we as Christians must understand. Satan is a defeated snake, a defeated serpent, a defeated enemy. Jesus has given him the final blow. We know this, but he is still very formidable. He is. So what do we do? We stand away from that head of the snake or we take the snake and we throw it in the fire. For us as Christians, we don't need to go find Satan. We stay away from the head of the snake and wait one day when our Lord and Savior will return and take the head of the snake and throw it into the lake of fire. This is our responsibility. So with that in mind, the Apostle Paul is saying, stand firm. Don't pick up the head of the snake. Don't play with the snake. Stand firm. Stand firm. Friends, this morning I want us to see three pieces of the armor of God mentioned in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. What are they? One, the belt of truth. We see this in verse 14. Two, the breastplate of righteousness. We see this in verse 14b. And three, the shoes of the gospel of peace. We see this in verse 15. Notice with me the first point, the belt of truth, the belt of truth. Again, the Apostle Paul gives us six pieces of the armor, six of them. And here he's thinking about a Roman soldier's armor, and he's describing it. He uses it as an analogy, and then he tells us here is the armor of the Lord. So the first is the belt of truth. The belt of truth, don't think of it like a belt that we wear. It was basically like a girdle, 
Yes, men would wear girdles back then. They would wear this girdle, and that girdle will keep everything together, right? So a soldier who you would see him walking around, if he was ready for battle, he would gird his girdle. He would prepare his girdle. He'll take his girdle and put everything together, and the girdle will hold a lot of the armor together. It will hold a sword up. It would also hold the breastplate of righteousness or the breastplate. It would hold that up. So here the Apostle Paul is saying that we must put on our girdle. It's the girdle of truth. And the truth here is what holds the armor together. But notice what he's saying here. He says that we must be prepared, right, to gird up. The King James Bible says to gird up. The ESV says to fasten. And I love the word gird up, right? It's just, it's just an old English term, but it, it just, there's a lot of power with it. Gird up your loins is what he's saying. There, there is a sense of preparation is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. So when he says to fasten, we have the idea of preparation. Think with me of sports teams or athletes that actually competed that were not necessarily prepared or committed. If any of us see an athlete or a sports team that's not prepared and there's no commitment, it's by far one of the most disgusting thing you can ever see. Now, we in Louisiana, we have our PhD in that, right? Because a lot of our teams, we see them and they're not prepared. We see the Saints, and the Saints going against a particular team, and I'm like, man, what's going on? Even my five-year-old can run a play better than this, right? Like, you should have thought deeply about this. LSU football team, we say the same thing. What is going on with you guys? And your coach is getting paid millions of dollars. Give me a dollar, I'll give you a better play, right? That's what we say to ourselves. Another thing is the women's basketball team, right? LSU last year, um, they won the national championship, and we were expecting them, the first game, to completely blow out Colorado, the women's basketball team. And what happened? Well, to our surprise, they got beat, right? 92 to 78. They got destroyed. And the coach says later on to the media and to everyone else, we were not prepared. We have many players on our team that is not that are not committed. We get it. Commitment is important. Preparation is important. And friends, we're talking about just sports, right? Basketball, football. We get it. It's important. But when it comes to the spiritual life, it's more intense. It's more important. More important for us to be prepared and for us to be committed. This is what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. In this Christian battle, we must be prepared and committed. But stop. Notice what he does here. Here's the analogy. Here is a Roman soldier, his girdle. And then the Apostle Paul says, it's not a physical girdle for a Christian. What is it, Paul? It is truth. Truth is what he says here. There is the belt of truth is what he's saying. What is the belt of truth? There, there are two things that the Apostle Paul might be saying. First, he's saying this, the truth of God, that is Christian doctrines. So the belt of truth is Christian doctrines here. And the other is that he's saying truthfulness of sincerity of heart. So which is it? It's both of them. They both work off of each other. 
Don't miss this in coming closer. The Apostle Paul is saying to us, the belt of truth for a Christian in this warfare is Christian doctrines. What, what, what Christian doctrines are you talking about, Kevin? I, I am talking about the doctrines of the Word of God. I am talking about the doctrines of salvation. I'm talking about the doctrine of sanctification. I'm talking about the doctrine of God, the doctrine of men. We as Christians should know the word of God. This is the belt of truth for us. And, and there are so many Christians who are now spending time in the word and they find themselves defeated on a consistent basis. But those who are people of the word who knows doctrines, they find themselves fighting against Satan. Let me give you a perfect example of this. We, we notice even Jesus himself, right? In Matthew chapter 4, what did Jesus use to fight against Satan? The word. Jesus says, the word says that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus used the word to fight against Satan. Jesus knew scripture because scripture was about Jesus. And we as Christians, we must follow the examples of Jesus. Do you know your word? Do you know the truth in scripture? As I will never forget this, one of the darkest moments in my life, several years ago, I, I was in a major, deep spiritual depression and I'm on my bed and I felt it was getting darker and darker. My heart rate was beating so hard and I just wanted to die. It's like, God, I, I, I just, just take me, God, take me. I felt that God was so far from me. And the only thing I could have done, the only thing I did that moment was to quote scripture that reminded me of the promises of God. Being confident of this very thing, Ephesians 1, 6 says, that he who began a good work in you, Kevin, will complete it until the day of redemption. He sealed you with the Spirit of God until the day. It's a guaranteed. I sort of quote in Ephesians chapter 1, and God used his word to help me in that time. This is a problem with so many Christians. We don't memorize the Word of God. We don't spend time in the Word of God. The only time that we open up our Bibles is when we come to church on Sunday. But you ought to be people of the Word. Because the very thing that holds the armor up, it is the truth of the Word. The doctrines of Christianity. It is. And therefore, when we understand that, it motivates our heart to be sincere and truthful. You know, I love what Kent Hughes mentioned. This is what he says. Kent Hughes says, Paul says that truth performs this crucial function in spiritual warfare. Truth holds the spiritual armor in place and safeguards against deadly entanglements. He says to gird up the truth. Gird up the truth. Now, I want to share with you something important. I remember watching the show. Do you remember the show Cops? And I used to love the show Cops. I don't know if they're still airing Cops. From the last time I heard, they cancel it because it was very offensive. I'm like, how is Cops offensive? Who is Cops offensive to? Well, criminals, right? 
and criminals decided to cancel cops. But I used to love watching cops. And one of the things I used to love watching is how dumb criminals really are. They used to wear their pants all the way below their waist. I mean, all the way down to their knees. And then they would involve themselves in some criminal activities. And here's this cop with a donut and really big old stomach. And the cop would run after them and catch them. I'm like, how are you allowing this big old cop to catch you? You know why? Because he's not girding up his loins. And wanted to yell, gird up your loins. But it's something very funny for us to look at. But think about it this way. This is exactly what Satan does. When it pertains to us, when we are not girding up our loins. God has given us the belt of truth. But instead of wearing it, we wear it all the way down to our knees. And we're trying to run and we fall and we fall. But friends, what we need to understand is the truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture. We need to saturate our lives in that. I'm thankful for Spurgeon's words here concerning the Word of God. This is what he mentioned. Listen very carefully. Coming closer. Get this. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves as I have seen a silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it. So ought we to do with the Word of the Lord, not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it until we have taken it into our innermost parts. And Spurgeon was so good with words and analogy. Don't just walk over the surface. Eat it. Consume it. Concerning John Bunyan, Spurgeon said this. Why? This man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is biblin. <laughs> The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting the text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I command his example to you, beloved. Martin Luther memorized the entire Bible in Latin. John Wesley memorized the entire New Testament in the New Testament Greek. An am amazing thing. But we are too busy to memorize the word, to know the word, and to be saturated in the word. But listen to me very carefully. If you are willing to fight this battle, you need the belt of truth. Grab hold of it. Grab hold of it. You have it. You have it at your disposal. Use it mightily. The next thing we have here, or the next armor... A piece of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness was called the thorax in the original language. It was made out of leather or chain mail. It was placed around the chest, the front of the soldier. And basically it was meant to, to protect the vital organs of that soldier, but specifically his heart. But here specifically, it's not a physical thorax is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to put on. What is he calling us to put on? The breastplate of righteousness. And there are two ways for us to understand this righteousness here. I hope you're ready to listen to this because this is powerful. 
When the Apostle Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness, first he's saying to us, it is Christ's righteousness given to us at salvation. Friends, this is Jesus's imputed righteousness. This is not your righteousness. Paul is not saying find something good in you and then fight against the devil by yourself or with your righteousness. As a matter of fact, you know what the Bible says about your righteousness and my righteousness? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, this is what it mentions. We all have become, or we all have all become, like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Our righteousness is as filthy righteousness, filthy rags. So do not say, I can fight this devil based on my goodness, on my righteousness, on my holiness. It will not suffice. Do you get this? This is why the Apostle Paul mentioned in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, the Apostle Paul was a smart man, and he was a Pharisee. I mean, you don't get more righteous than Paul in that time, right? A self-righteousness. He was a Pharisee, a man who memorized Scripture, who prayed all the time. And in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about his accomplishment, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning my zeal, I persecuted the church. And then in verse 7, he says, I counted all these things as loss. In verse 8, he says, I counted all these things as loss. I count all these things as dung compared to Christ. And then in verse 9, he says, And be found in him, who is him, Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own. Thank you, Paul. Paul probably is thinking about Isaiah here. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the righteousness he's talking about here, friends. Jesus' righteousness, we put on the armor of God, and we remind ourselves of the righteousness of God that's been imputed upon us. When Jesus died on that cross for our sins, and when we confess and believe upon Jesus and repent of our sins, he takes our sins from us, and he takes his righteousness from him, and he places his righteousness in us. And God declares us righteous, not because of our goodness, but because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come in closer and don't miss this. The breastplate of righteousness is received and put on through faith as God gives us his righteousness. He clothes us through his son, Jesus Christ. We have an amazing example of this in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 3. In Zechariah chapter 3, we are told of this high priest by the name of Joshua. Chapter 3, verse 1, we're told that Joshua went to the temple of the Lord to pray. And besides him was Satan, the accuser. Then we are told that Joshua had filthy clothes, signifying his sins and the sins of the people of Israel. I can imagine what Satan is accusing him of. You're not good enough to be before God. You're filthy. Your sins are too much. And you would think that God will allow that to happen and keep going on. But no, 
the angel of the Lord spoke. And in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, listen very carefully. And the angel of the Lord said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. What clothes was put on Joshua, the high priest? It was the righteousness of God. That's the only way we can stand before God. His righteousness, not yours, but his righteousness. What a great example here. But secondly... Not only is Jesus' righteousness, which is the most important here, but what we must understand is his righteousness is deposited in us, but we must appropriate that righteousness in our lives. We must withdraw that righteousness in our lives. God has not given us Jesus' righteousness so we can feel good about ourselves. So we just could admire the righteousness of God. Put it on the shelf and say, man, look at Jesus' righteousness. It's so beautiful. And we do nothing with it. No, we are meant to take it in and to appropriate it in our lives. We are meant to receive his righteousness and to live out his righteousness. I'll never forget this. In St. Lucia, I grew up not having microwaves and not having toasters and blenders and none of these things. Right? It wasn't until I was like 15, 16 that we started using it a little bit more. But... At 13, my mom, who was in America, sent all of these things down to us. Now, you would think we would use it, but you got to understand my grandmother. My grandmother likes to show off. She would get all of these things, and she built a shrine. I call it a shrine because it was a shrine. You can't convince me otherwise, and you will understand what I mean. She built a shelf, and she placed a microwave, brand new, out of the box, she placed a blender, the food processor, the toaster for years on the shelf that we couldn't even use it. I'm like, come on, this is ridiculous. And one day, one day I walked in the kitchen. I promise you I did not do it. I would have loved to do it, but I did not do it. It was the providence of God. One day, everything came tumbling down. Every single one of these things fell and broke. And I was thinking to myself, amen, amen. That's good. She was not meant to receive these things and not use them. All along, I could be eating a really good toast. I was thinking about a, a, a smoothie I could drink, right? I was thinking about stop eating cold foods and put it in a microwave, right? She received all of that, and she didn't use it. I'm thinking the joy that my grandmother could have enjoyed, Right? The joy that she could have had. The joy that we all could have had if she only would have appropriate these things, use these things. Friends, in the same way, when God gives us Jesus' righteousness, it's not meant to put on a shelf and admire it and learn everything about it, but it's meant to live out, to use, to use. We must appropriate the righteousness of Christ. And how do we do this? By simply obeying Christ, reading his word and obeying his word, friends. Are you obeying Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? 
or you pursue in holiness and righteousness, or you desire to please Jesus. Take a look at the third and final point for this morning. The shoes of the gospel of peace. In verse 15, the most awkward phrase in the list here of the Christmas, uh, Christian's armor is this one. Why? Because he mentioned with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I mean, it, it seems like Paul didn't necessarily mention the shoes here in the original Greek language, so we have to assume. So a lot of the New Testament um, translations or English translation really just put shoes here because it's assumed that's what Paul is talking about. So Paul didn't even mention shoes, and maybe because the feet are so nasty and dirty that Paul didn't even want to think about it. You know, I don't know why, but nevertheless, it's there for us to assume, and he's assuming that we must put on the shoes. And the shoes here that the soldier would use was the caliga. And the caliga basically had spikes under it, and your toes were exposed. It was not meant for you to run. As a matter of fact, Josephus mentioned of a Roman soldier who flee from a battle, and he was running, and he was running, and he fell because he was not meant to run with those shoes on. When he fell, they caught up to him and they killed him. So here, this shoe is not meant for us to run. This shoe is meant for us to stand firm. Stand firm. Imagine playing football, the offensive line. They're meant to stand firm. Defensive line, stand firm, right? To prevent this one from coming in. This is the idea here. That the shoes here is to stand firm. But what is the shoes? He says, the shoes here is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. So we must bring the gospel to others. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying here, don't miss this, in our spiritual battle, we must put on the gospel of peace. And the way we put on the gospel of peace is by giving the gospel away. You might be saying, Kevin, you don't understand. If I'm aware uh, I'm in a spiritual battle, I I'm from America, I I'd rather someone come in and, and, and help me. Yeah, tell, me tell, tell me what I must do and, and sit with me and tell me, tell me these things. I don't want to go and share with anyone. This is such an American idea, right? Like, like we constantly, if we are hurting, we just want people to serve us and we never serve anyone else. The Bible says if you're hurting, serve others and you will find great joy. Do you get this? If you are really hurting, if you're depressed, if you're going through the spiritual battle and you feel so debilitated, get up and share the gospel with people. You will feel better. Because God made, made that for us to enjoy, sharing the gospel. This is why the Apostle Paul mentioned in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But then Paul tells us something amazing about the gospel. First he says, it's the gospel of peace, right? What does he mean by the gospel of peace? There are two things that we must understand. One, it is peace with God. Peace with God. This is why it's called the gospel of peace. So if you, you, you get this, those of you who are saved, before you were saved, you were not at peace with God. This is a cosmic problem all over the board. Every human being, once they're born in sin, they feel in their hearts that there is no peace with God. I've met 
older men, and I've asked them, when you die, where will you, where, where will you end up? They're like, I hope heaven, I hope God accepts me because, because you know, I know I'm a horrible person, but I'm also a good person, and, and there's not a, a peace. I don't have that peace with God. This is what they're saying, right? There are other people who would say this to you based on what they pursue. So they, they pursue alcohol, they pursue sex, they, they pursue money, they pursue greed, because they're, they're looking for some sense of peace. This is a problem with humanity, and maybe that's you this morning. You, you don't feel that peace with God. So, so you're looking at different religions. Maybe if I go to the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Full Gospel Church, the Assemblies of God Church, maybe, maybe one of them is going to give me the peace that I need. So there's a plethora of religion that you're actually entertaining rather than pursuing God. People are looking for peace. And others are saying, I wanted peace, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay away from people. I want nothing to do with people. I don't like people until I get the peace that I'm looking for. That's the peace, right? The only way that you can get this peace is with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ being proclaimed to you and you submitting to the gospel. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, when you are in a spiritual battle, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace to proclaim the good news to those out there. Be evangelistic. Be evangelistic. And it's an amazing thing. I think that one of the greatest miracles of all time is watching someone come to know Jesus. It's not seeing someone resurrected from the grave or casting out demons that so many charismatic brothers and sisters are trying to do. No, it's seeing people come to know Jesus. It's by far one of the greatest miracles. And when you experience that, when you see that, when you rejoice because the angels of heaven are rejoicing, gives you a different perspective. So let us be evangelistic. It's a peace of God. But not only that, not only a peace of God, peace, oh, peace with God. The second concept here is the peace of God that God gives to Christians. So once I have peace with God, I come to know Him as my Lord and Savior. Now He has given me His peace I have the peace of God. This is exactly what he mentions in John 14, verse 27, when he gave his disciples his personal peace by saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. This is the word shalom, which means completeness, soundness, welfare. One German philosopher and, uh, and scholar calls this the well-being peace. This is the same peace that Paul mentioned in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, when Paul says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, the peace of God forms a garrison around you. It protects you. So when you go through a pandemic like COVID, for a Christian who has the peace of God, he is okay. When the doctor says to him he has a terminal illness, when he has the peace of God, he is okay. When someone threatens him, he is okay. When he experiences financial situation, the peace of God tells him you are okay. Do you get it? This is the peace of God that he's talking about here. This is the peace of God that the world needs. 
We see how chaotic they are, how depressed they are, when they're constantly committing suicide and pursuing the wrong things. Why? Because they do not have the peace of God. It passes all understanding. Maybe you, in this room as Christians, you are not clothing yourself with the peace of God. Yes, there is peace with God. What about the peace of God? Are you living your life with this well-being peace of God? And as we close, I want to share this with you. I want you to imagine that you are in your house with your family late at night. You heard someone or you you heard someone um, perhaps break through a window. You hear someone in your house and you grab your shotgun and you walk out. There's a thief with a butter knife in his hand. A butter knife. He looks at you and he says, I'm here to steal everything but also to hurt you and your family. And then he ridicules you. He belittles you by saying, this weapon that you have, the 12-gauge that you have, it's not strong enough. It will not help you. Put it down. Will you do that? Please help me. Will you do that? No! And this is exactly what the world is telling you about the armor of God. they got a butter knife in their hands, and you have a shotgun. And they're telling you the armor of God is not strong enough. They're telling you the armor of God is not good enough. They're telling you it's not effective. It's inadequate. And we as Christians, we're listening to them, and we're grabbing hold of psychology, and we're grabbing hold of this sense of positive thinking, and we're grabbing hold of this horrible weapons that the world have. And God has given us his armor. Do you get this? None of us will be fine with a thief coming into our house with a butter knife telling us that our shotgun is not strong enough. We will laugh at him. In the same way, friends, laugh at the world. And don't listen to the world. Know more about this armor. Put it on. The belt of truth. When they tell you that God's word is not sufficient, God's word has mistakes, God's word is not good, it was written by man, that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to disarm you because they have a butter knife and they know you have a 12 gauge. Don't listen. When they tell you that your breastplate of righteousness is not strong enough, it's too big for you. It's ridiculous. Don't listen. When they tell you your shoes are not the most popular shoes and it's not stylish, put on this shoe instead. Don't listen. When they tell you your sword is not sharp enough, don't listen. When they tell you your helmet is not strong enough, don't listen. This is the word of God and we need to put on the armor of God. Join me as we pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Please, God, move in our hearts. Move in our hearts, O oh Lord. There is a battle here that we are seeing, and, and we have become so lackadaisical. We, we find ourselves sluggish and lazy, and, and we are allowing principles and fads in this world to pull us and pull us and pull us away when we know what the Apostle Paul mentioned. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities cosmic 
powers. We know that Satan is called the God of this world. So why are we listening to the world? We are not holding tight of your word and standing on your word. God, I pray for your people. I pray for myself to never, never deviate from your word and from you, O Lord. Convict our hearts. Awaken us in your mighty and precious name. Amen and amen.